0: Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. So we are excited about this series, and our hope in this series is that we will get a new vision of the transforming power of a community, that gathers together to worship. And to kick off this series, Manuel is going to be speaking to us for this first installment. And I asked him this earlier, and I was actually shocked by his response. But Manuel has been serving as a worship pastor, creative arts pastor, and a bunch of other kind of stuff pastor for 32 years, which is amazing. Woo. He's been working at Oak Hills for longer than a lot of us have been born, which is pretty amazing. It really is, 32 years. And some of you know this, but recently Manuel finished writing, and uh, it is now out for purchase, a new book called Honest Worship. And uh, Manuel, this is his second book, and, and this particular book that he wrote, it's up on the screen. You can see it, or there's a copy of it right here. But this book that he wrote is about being formed in worship. As a community, our series is not following along with the book, but the general concept is the same, that we as people are formed when we gather to worship. Now, there's a real value conflict here that I want to just call out and name. And if you're unfamiliar with Oak Hills, uh, then all the more reason to be saying this. But the value conflict is, on the one hand, It gets a little creepy to talk about someone's book in a worship service intended to be aimed at, directed to, and all about God. And Manuel feels that creepy factor. I feel that creepy factor. We talked long and hard about how do we do this? Because on the one side, this is about God. On the other side, Manuel, and this is me talking now, Manuel's been here 32 years. He's served us. He's led. He's put in hours that... Most people have no clue of and he knows something about this thing called corporate worship. So the desire to recognize the purity of the occasion is we're here to worship God, but also to celebrate our friend and one of our leaders for having written this book. So just know that in talking about this, we're well aware of the creep factor and well aware that it creates this kind of value conflict And so we stepped into it knowing that, but I thought it was important for you to know that he has done this. Now, here's the bad news for you. Part of why we did this is we had these available for an amount of money that was less than what we paid for them out in the lobby. And in fact, the encouragement was, if you can't pay anything, just take one. And if you can pay whatever you can, take one. Or the most we were going to charge was $10. And I think we had 60 or 70 of them to start off the day. But unfortunately, bad news for you. They're all gone after the first service. So you don't get any. So why am I bringing it up? I don't know. But the point is, is that if you want the book, we live in a a technological age. I'm sure you can figure out how to get it. But I would encourage it. And it may be a helpful companion as we go through this series, because I know Manuel's heart. I know my heart. I know the heart of Uh, the church is that we will learn how to celebrate God and worship him together and experience the formation that happens to us individually and as a church as we do this so would you pray with me as Manuel comes Jesus thank you for Manuel's tireless and faithful service through the years for his heart toward you for his humility for the way in which you have shaped him and formed him through the years and we pray as he comes today, that your spirit would be upon him and that our hearts would be open. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank
1: you, Mike. I'm very glad to be able to speak to you guys today about this. When you said 32 years, I don't know why, but in this service, it hit me really hard. Like, I'm really old. Man. uh, and one other comment is, in, in, in all of that, this, this, this I want to thank you guys, because Oak Hills Church has been a worship laboratory for us on staff for many, many years. And we've been learning how to, and continue to learn how to be worshipers together. And I thank you so much for your patience in putting up with a lot of stuff that we've done over the years. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 68. I'd like to invite you to stand. We're going to do this a little bit differently this morning in that we are all going to read this together. It's on the screens, if you don't want to um, take out your Bibles. So let's just say this together here. Praise Praise God God and the great congregation. congregation. Praise Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. Israel. This is the word of the Lord. And you be seated. You can imagine um, that I've been waiting for a while to be able to talk for five weeks about worship. Dr. Bruce Leafblad asserts that worship is the highest form of love. And I have a tendency to agree with that statement. Worship is the continuing act of revelation and response. God revealing his love and grace to us and us responding as his people by loving him back. And so I believe that I have the best job in the world to be able to lead grace-given people before a gracious God, to express a love to him that he first expresses to us. And I think that's a very... Cool thing. So, as we begin this series, I just want to give you a little bit of an overview of what we're going to cover over the next five weeks. See, worship services don't just happen, there's a very specific and designed flow to a Sunday morning service, like a song has a flow. A song has a verse which floats into a chorus and back into a second verse, and then more choruses and bridges and back to concluding choruses. There's a structure, and that structure helps to tell the story of the song. Well, worship services are like that too. Worship services have a structure, or as some people refer to it, a liturgy, which help to frame what we do, why we do it, and when we do it on a Sunday morning. And this is what we're going to talk about in the series. So if you want to throw that up there, over the next five weeks we're going to cover five things. Um, We're going to talk today about gathering as his people where we come together as the people of God. Second is adoration, where we interact with our triune God uh, through song or prayer, liturgy, and other acts of adoration. The serv- third is the service of the word, where we hear from God through the Bible, through sermon, testimonies, and possibly artistic expressions like songs or video clips. The climax to a service is typically communion um, or a service of the table, where we celebrate the body and blood of Christ broken and shed for us. And we do that on the fifth, I'm sorry, on the first Sunday of every month. Finally, the fifth movement is the sending, where we are sent out from this place as representatives of Jesus out into the world until we come again and meet in the next Sunday. Um, There's one more um, at the bottom there. There's actually six, and this is called a worship night. And I just want to point this one out, throw in another advertisement here another announcement on at the conclusion of this five-week series on that sunday night we're going to do a big worship night that is co-hosted by our youth ministries it's going to be in the family auditorium we're going to start with a potluck and have um, some extended time of luxurious worship and then kind of end that with some fire pit conversations and i'm really looking forward to that you're going to want to write that down and be a part of that um, at the conclusion of our series now You've probably been to a lot of worship services, but maybe you've never thought about these five movements in this way before, and that's the point. We, we want you to start thinking about how we, as a community of believers, interact with the community of the Godhead. So we'll be hitting each of these five m- movements over the next five weeks, looking thoughtfully and carefully at each one of them. So before I move any further, I just would like to invite you to pray with me as we start this sermon. God, you give us this great privilege to be not only gathered um, to be in your presence, but to gather in your presence, to be your children and to come before you as as our Father. And dear God, we pray that you would move our hearts and instill in us deeply a greater love for you that we might be
0: better worshipers. Amen. Come and State, uh, Let me get it, y'all. Yeah, baby. So, Let's eat. Come on. That, yeah. on. that rebel turkey. Yeah. Everyone thank your mother for driving to the store and getting this. Thank you, Mama. Food and football. Get all you want. Come, Come on. Hustle, hustle. You got to get back over there. Go ahead. Don't take my spot.
1: You're rushing, SJ. SJ, through. go down. No.
0: <laughs> this is fantastic. Oh, y'all
1: forgot the potato salad. Oh man. How's Mom doing?
0: Let's kick it. the ball. One wider over yeah, huh? left mm-hmm. row miss. one corner number 30 out. In press coverage. Awesome salad. Else, dogs up in the box, so expect in run. Right now. So so mama. Yeah, mama. Go on. Nice little surge, but uh, not much running inside. Go Rebels got third and long. Birdsong and Mawini on the tackle. Almost 5 of 10 on third down. From the 26th, third down and 6 for the Reds. is slow. Let's see if they try a pass or not. Now Turner goes in motion out of the backfield. State showing blitz. Here they come. Manning to throw. Runs to his right. Throws it at the feet of the... Hey! Whoa! No.
1: But it's Thanksgiving.
0: Wow. Why are we even here?
1: Shall we say grace? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many blessings on this family. We thank you for bringing us a new friend. And we ask that you look after us on this holiday season, that we may never forget how very fortunate we are.
0: Amen. Amen. Check the score. Up by 10.
1: Collins, can you pass me the green beans, please? Don't pick it with your fingers. Just take take us stu- the... Ta- Now that we're entering into the fall, two things that I really look forward to is football and the Thanksgiving meal. Turkey, gravy, mashed potatoes, cranberry sauce. All I have to do is think about it and close my eyes and I immediately think of my mother-in-law's gravy. But it's more than just food, right? There's the people who are there, the stories that we tell one another, the traditions we uphold, the love that we share. There's meaning to the gathering that is much deeper than simply people gathering around the table. So here's my premise for this morning. It's my opinion that the Thanksgiving meal is a great metaphor for what we're trying to accomplish in our worship services every Sunday morning. There's actually a theology to what we do. And we believe that an understanding of this theology will enrich our worship experience. So let's dive into this metaphor a little deeper because I think it'll help us to better paint a picture of worship can be. First, we gather as a family. Everyone together, young and old, male and female, rich and maybe not so rich, liberals and conservatives, people of different racial and cultural backgrounds. We come together as an accepting, inclusive, grace-filled community. And then more than just gather, we do the one-anothers. We serve one another, care for one another, pray for one another, love one another. We understand that this thing that we do is all about relationships. Our relationships with one another and our shared relationship with God. We're related by the blood of Christ. So no one's left out. Have you ever thought about how your personal identity is attached to your identity, the identity of your family? Well, this is how the Hebrews thought about themselves. The Hebrews had a very different mindset than us westernized Americans. We have a very individualized way of defining ourselves. We're fiercely independent and singular and unique with rights and privileges and the pride of self-alliance. But the Hebrews saw themselves more as one small part of a greater whole, one of God's chosen people. They defined themselves as one link in a chain, one star in a constellation, one member. Of God's chosen people. And then this concept is later confirmed in the New Testament. As we are all considered a part of one body. And also one part of the bride of Christ. So their greater identity and ours as well. Should not be in, our, in of ourselves. But as a part of the people of God. Just as in any healthy family. There is a profound joy that exists. When all of the members come together around the big dinner table. When we're together, our lives take on clarity and meaning and enfold into the larger story of us. Because we are more than just individuals. Our greater identity is being a part of the community of the redeemed. This idea is, uh, of the essential nature of community didn't originate in the church, but comes from the very essence of our Trinitarian God. Who is in very being a community of love? This is um, really foundationally important. So I want to take a moment and remind ourselves of what it is we believe about the Trinity. I think that every every disciple of Jesus should be able to articulate the Trinity, if asked. So here we go. There is only one God, but in the unity of the Godhead, there are three eternal persons. The same in substance, but distinct. God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The three persons of the Trinity are associated equally and as one. In other words, God exists in perfect community. Each of the three persons of the Godhead has unique identities. The Father is our Abba, our Daddy God. It is the Father who sent his Son. And it is through the Son that we become children of the Father. Jesus is our Savior, the perfect Lamb, who came to earth, in flesh to die on the cross and be raised from the tomb on our behalf. Through him, all things were made. Those who trust in him make him our Lord and we become his disciples. We cannot truly know God outside of the person of Jesus. Now, Jesus left us the Holy Spirit, our teacher, our guide, our comforter, our power, and it is in cooperation with the Spirit that we are transformed. So, Here's the thing. The three persons of the Godhead exist in an eternal, ever-joyful, ever-creative community. So, worship is an invitation into community. God exists in perfect and eternal community, and through His grace, the Holy Spirit invites us into the intimate communion of the Son with the Father. And we're not just invited as individuals. We are invited as the community of believers. The community of God beckons the community of his children. That's just how God designed us. Our gathering then acknowledges two essential facts of our theology. One, that we enter into the presence of the community of the Godhead. And two, we are at our core all members of this redeemed community, bonded together by the love of God. Thus our gatherings give us definition and identity and purpose. Our families reflects who we are. Generational, gender, racial, and social economic diversity. And I want to point out this isn't a politically correct diversity. It's a God-breathed diversity, an accepting, inclusive, grace-filled community. In this community, there are young and old, men and women and children, people of color and people of different cultural backgrounds, people of different economic backgrounds, temperaments, languages. And this is the beautiful part. Together, we're the church. That's who we are. As people who identify as Christ's followers, we are more ourselves when we are together than when we are apart. The second aspect of our metaphor of the Thanksgiving meal is that we gather to tell God's story. When we gather for Thanksgiving, we tell um, our stories to one another. Right? We catch up with one another and what's happening we share funny anecdotes. We talk about people we know. We even share inside jokes and things that define us. Our stories are part of a larger story that is our family. And this story metaphor also is another aspect of the metaphor of corporate worship. The story of all that was and is and is to come is the story of God. The larger story, sometimes referred to as the Christian meta-narrative is a crucial element in understanding our Christian faith, for it's a story of God's activity in the universe throughout all time. Now, a meta-narrative can be defined as an overarching comprehensive explanation that gives meaning to history and experience and knowledge. It's like a narrative about narratives, a grand story that ties every other story together. The Christian meta narrative of all that was and is and is to come can be described as a continuing three-act play of creation, fall, and redemption. Theologian Dr. Robert Weber contends that worship is a rehearsal of the saving deeds of God in history. And if you look at the Bible, you'll see that this is true. One of the primary ways that the people of Israel worship was through the many feasts and commemorations was tell the story of God's people including Passover and Yom Kippur. The worship of the the nation Israel is centered on telling and retelling God's story. So not only is worship an encounter with God, it's an encounter with the truth of God. Not only who he is, but what he has done and is doing and continues to do. Now in our corporate worship, we remind one, uh, one another of the things that he has done for us. His mighty acts of power and grace, how he became a man, dwelt among us, died on the cross, and became resurrected for our sake. We tell the story through songs, scripture, prayers, sermons, testimonies, and sacramental actions like the Lord's Supper or baptism. We also tell the story of God through the church calendar, and this bears some discussion. There's the four Sundays of Advent, which prepare us for Christmas. The 40 days of Lent, which prepare us for Holy Week, and the Holy Week itself, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Saturday, and then, and then Sunday. We have the 50 days of Eastertide, where we celebrate the resurrection. Through these historical church calendar events, we retell once again the story of God from the manger to the cross to the sky. And just like our Thanksgiving gathering, we retell these stories again and again, each and every year, and it never gets old. Many of you recall what we state every year. Um, One of my favorite services, the Candlelight Christmas Eve service, and it's on the screens. Let's say this together, shall we? All of history converges in Christ, and everything changes in the light of his coming. Every year we recite this amazing statement, and every year it embeds inside of me in deeper and deeper ways. Gathering to tell the story of God helps to ground us to something deeper than ourselves. We can insert our own stories of redemption, our own testimonies of being able to say, I once was lost, but now am found, into God's larger story. And then when we gather as a community, we remind one another that my story is entwined with your story, which is entwined with her story, which is entwined with his story. It's like we're each little colorful strings in a beautiful tapestry that God is weaving in the universe. The third aspect of our metaphor is that we gather to walk through liturgy. When uh, my family celebrates Thanksgiving, there's an order of things, an unstated order. First people walk in the door and we greet each other. We share snacks and we socialize. We smell these delicious aromas that are coming from the kitchen while the cooks busy themselves with a grand meal yet to come. Finally, and in my family, we gather in the kitchen uh, to circle around and we hold hands, we give thanks through prayer and then we fill our plates with food. And this is the main event, eating. Everyone eats more than they should, which is another tradition. One of the most hallowed traditions, actually. And the meal is typically capped off by my mother-in-law's huge chocolate Texas sheet cake or homemade apple pies. And then afterwards, and this is also tradition, all the men waddle over to the couch (laughs) where we sprawl about like a school of beached whales, maybe to watch the rest of the football game or just talk. And what's really funny is we pretty much follow that same order each and every year. In a sense, this order becomes part of the tradition of how Thanksgiving is celebrated in my home. Well, another Word for this order of things is the word liturgy. James K. A. Smith argues that there are competing and rival liturgies everywhere. So there's a liturgy to a baseball game, a liturgy to a movie theater, even a liturgy to the shopping mall. And here's the thing these liturgies, these formularies, they shape us. These repeated practices form or deform our souls. Because liturgy is compounded through repetition. Because of this, Smith asserts, worship is formative, not merely expressive. Well, our Sunday morning gathering has a liturgy as well. There's an order to what we do in worship. And that includes everything from walking in the door to leaving at the end. Now, I'd like to invite you to take out your bulletins for just a moment. And for many, many years, we have had this order of worship in the front of your bulletins. There is uh, gathering, adoration. In our, in our case, we add another one called community where we put announcements. And by the way, the, the, the uh, historical ancient church didn't, didn't do announcements. <laughs> um, there's service of the word. On the first Sunday of the month, we have service of the table. And then there's sending. Those um, are there every single week to clue you in on our particular liturgy. Now, those of you who are part of Oak Hills know that we are really big on spiritual disciplines and practices because we believe that these external actions can help to form us internally. They form our souls. Well, the practice of our Sunday morning liturgy is one of those spiritual practices which form us. Our worship service is corporate spiritual formation. And this has a lot of implications. First, Spiritual fact, uh, uh, practices form us through repetition. You have to do it over and over again. Just like a, a golfer practices their swing over and over so that it becomes internalized and natural, or a musician practices their instrument over and over so that it becomes a natural extension of their personal expression. So, spiritual practices form us through these repeated actions. So, you have to come every Sunday. Second, you can't just go through the motions. You know, show up late, leave early, not fully engage with our minds and hearts and bodies. If you expect the spiritual practice of the liturgy to form you, you need to engage with the singing, engage with the sermon, engage in community, engage in the reality of the Spirit of God actually in the room. And what this means practically is that you have to show up, like regularly, preferably Every week. You have to actually walk into the doors and interact with others in a meaningful way and engage in the singing and praying and reading and sermon. And you have to do it repeatedly, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and that will form you. Now, it's not my intention to browbeat anyone for their lack of attendance, and you know if you've been at Oak Hills, that's not our way. It's actually just the opposite. What I'm trying to emphasize here is that there's a profound blessing that we receive when we are present on a Sunday morning. And you miss out on that blessing when you don't come. And we miss out on the blessing of community with you. Let me just take a little sidebar here and remind you that the Hebrew concept of the Sabbath has its roots in the creation narrative of Genesis chapter 1. In fact, God believes that rest is so important that he devotes one of his commandments to it. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then Jesus adds to that. He teaches us on the intention of the Sabbath in the book of Mark, which is coming up. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus reminds us that God commanded the Sabbath on our behalf. The Sabbath was, in a sense, a gift to his people, not a rigid set of rules or a simple religious observance. We need the blessing of Sunday more than we even realize. You ask any guitarist to play a song, the first thing that they will do is check their tuning. They understand that it's normal for a guitar to float out of tune due to a variety of issues. Temperature, humidity, loosened pegs, overuse or underuse. All guitars need to be retuned regularly and often. And so it is with us. Regular and weekly worship helps us to retune, to set the strings of our souls back in sympathetic resonance with the Holy Spirit. Worship helps to remind us of what is right and true and who is righteous and holy. And true worship is an act of humility and surrender where we once again hand control of our lives over to God. So weekly worship reminds us periodically to live humbly and seek the kingdom. Worship serves to encourage us and to to persevere in times of trial and uncertainty and suffering and to be sustained in times of sin and sorrow. Worship helps fill the holes in our hearts with God. So now let's double back and look at our concept, our our word, the word liturgy. The liturgy of the family Thanksgiving meal fills us. We rest from our busyness. We enjoy the company of loved ones. We fill our bellies with food. And through all of that, we fill our souls. Likewise, Sunday morning fills us also with something our souls desperately long for. The liturgy of our Sunday service is designed to help us rest from our weekly schedules, help us to enjoy the company of other believers, and fill our souls with the presence of God. And in that filling, our souls are formed and shaped. The fourth aspect of our family meal metaphor is that we gather to express the arts. So if you know me, you know that I wouldn't pass up an opportunity to talk about the arts, right? So to do that, I'm going to shift for a moment from a Thanksgiving metaphor to a Christmas one for a moment. Now, in my family, we always get one of those cheap Home Depot Christmas trees. You know those designer trees that look perfect and every ornament matches, like it fell off a display at Pottery World? Yeah, well, our tree is exactly the opposite. But that's okay. In fact, we prefer it. In our family, we have an assortment of weird and eclectic ornaments. And and some of them are chipped and scarred and none of them match. But the thing is, most of these ornaments have memories attached to them. Some of them go back to when our children were born or even to when my wife Debbie was a little girl. Some of them were given to us by very dear friends. They are precious to us, meaningful and beautiful and personal, and I would say honest, So when we trim our cheap Home Depot tree and hang all those weird, unmatching, but meaningful ornaments to them, to us it becomes this really, really beautiful tree. At Oak Hills, we believe that the arts are an essential expression of our faith. And there are a lot of theological reasons behind this. The arts allow us to express that which cannot be expressed with mere words. The arts also help us convey a sense of beauty and also to connect with beauty, which is essentially a type of truth that ultimately points us to God, the creator. And of course, the arts can be an expression of God's people in worship. Because I know that in this church, there are a lot of artists gifted by God, and you artists help to express the truth of God and also the truth of ourselves. Personally, I think, as a creative arts pastor, it's part of my calling to provide venues, and opportunities for people who have artistic gifts to be able to use and develop those gifts to glorify God. So on a Sunday morning, you'll see a lot of the arts used to glorify God. And the most obvious is that we use music as an expression for worship. Music, in my humble opinion, is a language of the heavenlies. And our God is a great fan of music. And I just want to throw a few unrelated comments here about the music, because I can Uh, We pay attention to the music we select and play here. We don't just pick the latest worship hits. We pay attention to theology, singability, creativity, and intent. And we want the music to be a true expression of who we are, which is why we rarely bring in hired musicians or worship artists and why our worship teams reflect the diversity and the makeup of our congregation. This is also why we don't try to sound like the record around here. We just try to do the best job we can with who God gave us. And I think that Jordan and the worship teams and tech teams and choir do an incredible job of leading us every week. We also have other artistic expressions like the call to worship at the communion liturgy. And you probably don't know this, but those things are written by people right here in our church. We commonly have worship artists who paint and dancers who dance, and stage props, which help us to focus on God. And we also provide worship stations as well, like the clay stations that um, Angela Hauck has provided for us during this series. For those of us who are artistic in our congregation, and they give us an opportunity to to meet God in in the act of expression and creativity. So at Oak Hills, we aren't like one of those pottery world Christmas trees, shiny and new and perfectly matching, but largely impersonal. We're more like the family Christmas tree, somewhat imperfect and not matching, but nevertheless full of meaning and personal expressions of beauty. As God's children, our artistic expressions can put a smile on God's face in the same way that our children's crayon art finds their way onto our refrigerator doors. On the fifth Aspect in our metaphor is that we gather to express our love and thankfulness to God. A long time ago, my family was invited to a Thanksgiving by friends who had no faith background. Now, our friends were quite generous and I would say had maybe a little bit of a few too many perfectionistic tendencies. So when we came over, there was this perfect golden turkey, a perfect table, perfect place settings, and all of the fixings, which, of course, were perfect. After some friendly banter and the usual chaos associated with sitting several families down at the table, we had a sudden moment when a quiet settled down upon us, everyone eyeing this bountiful spread that lay before us on the table. And then our hostess announced gleefully, "Okay, let's eat, and we all dug in. Except that we never prayed. On Thanksgiving Day, we never never actually gave thanks. So, later after we had all gotten home and the kids were in bed, I mulled about this for a while. And perhaps this is where the entire metaphor began to take shape. In our worship services, we can go through the motions of worship. Singing and standing, praying and listening to the sermon, and never actually telling Jesus we love him, we appreciate him, We thank him. We adore him. Above all things, our corporate worship should be characterized by a love for God and by extension, a love for one another. Remember that one of the elements of the first century worship was the agape feast, also called the love feast. The agape feast was a communal meal shared among followers of the way. It was often attached to the Eucharist meal. In other words, attached to the Lord's Supper. In a way, every Sunday worship service should have this sense of agape, permeating our actions and attitudes, our fellowship, and our worship. Okay, so we've been using this metaphor of the Thanksgiving meal, and it's helped us to identify several elements of what I believe is healthy corporate worship. However, I have noticed that some people who attend church often see the worship service through the lenses of a completely different metaphor, the theme restaurant. Theme restaurants are highly stylized, efficiently run, high in quality, corporate, and a bit cookie cutter. There's a lot of memorabilia on the walls, a lot of wow in the room, a lot of flair pinned on the suspenders of the servers. And frankly, they are really a lot of fun to visit and the food can be really, really good but there's no feeling of family, no sense of tradition or shared story, no invitation to enter into something more meaningful than ourselves. Ultimately, there's nothing in a theme restaurant that is honest. Style overtakes substance. Friendliness replaces friendship. Love is supplanted by experiential satisfaction. Too many times we as worshipers fall into the trap of wanting to be catered to instead of truly being a part of. We become enamored by the flair and resist the inherent messiness of fellowship. We want theme restaurant because it provides us with a fancy meal without having to do any of the cooking. But worship is intended to be something we bring ourselves to and participate in, not something done to us or for us. We bring ourselves into the presence of God. We bring our stories of redemption and enfold them into God's larger story. We bring ourselves into imperfect but wonderful relationships with the people of God. We enter into the eternal dialogue. And the church, too, is something that demands more than just attendance. The church, in the best way possible, is an opportunity to lose ourselves in the greater identity of the bride, As we argued earlier, liturgies are all around us and shape us in good and bad ways. Just as there is a type of liturgy to the family traditions which make up our holiday meal, so there is a a liturgy to the worship service that forms our souls. When the church gathers, there's more going on than we realize. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up now. And I'm going to wrap this up with one final point. Personally, uh, Sunday morning is one of the best moments of my week. We gather as this imperfectly perfect beauty of the bride, a flesh and blood community of believers in Jesus. Our presence together is a testimony of our belief in the kingship of Jesus in our lives and the kingdom of God in our hearts and in this world. When we stand before one another as the people of God, when I stand here, and I look into your eyes, and you look into my eyes, without a word being said, what we are doing is declaring to one another, our God is true, our God is good, our God is real, our God reigns in me, our God reigns in you. When I see people raise their arms and give themselves to worship, they remind me and others around them of the goodness and the truth of God. Through your very presence, we encourage one another in worship. In a sense, we become an incarnation of God's love as a community of faith. This is the sacred assembly, the church gathered. Each of us comes with our stories of redemption and these stories entwine together when we gather and they enfold into the larger story of God. We act out that story right here. Our gathering gives us meaning, An identity that is greater and deeper than our individual selves. But here's the thing. You can't be the church if you aren't in the room. You can't participate in community if you don't show up. Not only do you miss out on the essential act of communal worship, but those who are present lose the benefit of fullness of worship with you. And there's this sweetness to the Sacred Assembly that I often feel during times of worship. Those times when we we gather together and we are more than just a crowd in the room. We're gathered in his name, at his throne, for his glory. We are his people, his beloved, the community of the redeemed, a hallelujah people. And it is in those moments amongst God's people and singing God's praises that I believe that we are more ourselves than we know. Would you pray with me? And as we pray, I just want you to help, give you a moment to center yourselves and reconnect with the Spirit of God that we know is here in this room. Help, um, give you a moment to help you to Retune the strings of your heart so that they might be that resonant frequency that allows the Spirit of God to to reach out to you. Father, Son, and Spirit, you are here in community. You gather us as community, and you draw us to yourself. You call us your bride, your chosen and then you love us with a deep and abiding and saving love. It is in these moments, Lord, that we cannot help but raise our arms, raise our voices, lift our heads,
0: and worship you.